0: Peter was one of the more prominent of the apostles. He had something of a a reputation of being rather impetuous, rather just one who would come and speak forth his mind suddenly, very quickly, just what was upon his mind. We find, too, that he was often the representative spokesman for all of the apostles, We could think of that occasion when, a very notable occasion, when the Lord Jesus demanded of his disciples who, in their judgment, that he himself was. And who was it that spoke forth with that tremendous confession concerning the identity of Jesus Christ? It was none other than Peter. He was the one who was the mouthpiece of them all and you remember the confession that he made thou art the Christ the son of the living God having made such a confession as that concerning Christ then perhaps it might seem strange to us as you read on in Matthew chapter 16 to find that as Peter heard of the Savior's forthcoming death upon the cross that he was the one who again speaks forth and he says, Be it, be it far from thee, Lord, this, this shall not be unto thee. And then we know of the Savior's stern reply and of his words of rebuke to Peter. And Then when the Savior went forth to that last conflict, Gethsemane, and then on eventually to Golgotha, we find that the Savior speaking again to his own, reminded them and said, you shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. But we could think again just for a moment of, of, of Peter's re- response. You remember, though all be offended, Lord, I will, I will not be offended. No doubt he spoke sincerely. No doubt he spoke from his very heart that he wouldn't deny his Lord, but yet we find, don't we, that he did. Here we have this 13th chapter of John's Gospel, from which we have been reading a part this evening, and we find that the Lord Jesus is gathered with his disciples, his disciples are present with him, and he's going to engage with them in an activity that portrays his saving work upon the cross at Calvary. We find those words in verse 7. He says, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. In the words that we have read, we discover that the Savior is meeting with his disciples for the Passover. And it's during this that the Savior engages in a specific activity. That specific activity is outlined for us in verse 4. He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. And then as we read on, we discover that It's Peter who is coming to the fore again. Peter is the one who poses the question to the Savior, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? It's as if Peter says, I would not be worthy to have you wash my feet. This this couldn't possibly be the right way round. But Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And then Peter comes again. And he says, thou shalt never wash my feet. Those words are extremely strong in the original. The sense and the meaning is that Peter is saying, thou wilt never ever wash my feet. And then the Savior responds in the reply to those words of Peter in verse 8. If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And then it's almost as if Peter has a second thought about the matter. And in verse 9, Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And of course, the Savior comes to give Peter a right understanding because he has been under a misunderstanding here. And we find the Savior says in verse 10, he that is washed, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet but is clean every whit and ye are clean but not all for he knew who should betray him therefore said he verse 11 ye are not all clean it's this washing that I want to focus your attention upon this washing that the Savior performed here when he took the towel and the basin and poured the water into it and washed the disciples' feet. Because this washing has a, has a primary significance. And the primary significance is to teach the nature of Christ's saving work upon the cross. Summed up in those words of verse 8, ah, If I wash thee not, Thou hast no part with me. And so there's a need for washing. There is a need for cleansing. And here we have the Savior's foot wash of the disciples' feet pointing out the need for washing, the need for cleansing. And that's the theme that I want to draw your attention to. And first of all, as we think upon it, let's notice the emphasis that's placed upon the washing. The emphasis placed upon the washing as we consider this we do well to think for just a moment about the the Savior's timing because this is happening at a specific time for example in verse 1 of chapter 13 now before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour was come he's here at the feast of Passover supper has taken place and then he rises from supper and in another of the Gospels in fact in Luke's Gospel Luke 23 in verse 15 we read that the Savior says with desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer so the Savior has a desire of heart a very strong desire of heart do this, to eat this Passover with his disciples before he goes to the cross. This is the last Passover that he will eat with them. And so with passionate desire, he longs to eat it with them before he himself suffers. And when he goes to suffer, he is going to suffer as the Passover lamb. So he knows full well, very well indeed, the significance of this last passover he knows that everything in the passover in the passover meal that is it it points to him as god's lamb god's lamb the lamb of god who will bear away who will take away the sin of the world and the washing of the disciples feet here is really focusing their minds and their thoughts upon god's great work of redemption as they would think of the deliverance that was wrought by God for his people, bringing them out of Egyptian bondage, pointing towards the greater work of redemption, when he will deliver his people by his own suffering and his own bloodshedding upon the cross at Calvary. So this is the time when we find the Savior is engaging in this washing. It has been the Passover But there's something also of the Savior's testimony here, the Savior's testimony, because the Savior does speak a word of testimony in one sense. He speaks about his hour. Notice that in verse one. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, he speaks specifically here about his hour. This isn't the first time that we find reference to this in the Gospel of John. For example, in John 7 and verse 30, we have the words, again referring to this hour, his hour was not yet come. We find it again in John chapter 8, his hour was not yet come. But now here in John chapter 13, the Savior knew that his hour was come. The Savior was very, very conscious of this very much aware of this that his hour was come and he was also very conscious and very much aware of something else you notice how it's emphasized in verse 3 Jesus knowing here's that same word again Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God So as the Savior engages in the washing of the disciples' feet, he does so with a very great consciousness and awareness of his own identity. He's the one who has come from God, and he is the one who is going to go to God. And yet, as he faces this hour, As he will meet this hour, he will not turn away from it. Nevertheless, this is an hour that is, in one sense, weighing very, very heavily upon his heart. Because when we go to a previous chapter in John's Gospel, John's Gospel chapter 12, notice what we read in verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. There's the reference again to this hour. Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. So his soul was deeply agitated. Why, we might ask. He knows the hour of his rejection, his suffering is come it's almost upon him and he knows that he has now conscious fellowship and communion with his father in heaven but that is going to be broken for a time as he will hang there upon the cross and in this setting we find that he goes forth with the water in the basin to wash the feet of his disciples Conscious, as he does it, that he's the one who has come from God to do this very thing by going to the cross and performing the great work of atonement for sinners. But then notice also as we think about the emphasis placed upon the washing here that there's something else. There's what I would call the the Savior's tenderness. The tenderness of his heart. Because there's a reference to that again. Verse 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. And here we have these words. Having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. He loved them unto the end. So all that he's doing now and all that he will yet do on the cross in the future is done with an unchanging, unswerving love for his own. Those for whom he will shed his precious blood that their sins might be washed away. And oh, to think of the love of God in Christ, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the emphasis here on the washing is really pointing to the accomplishment of his redemption on behalf of his people. And not only the accomplishment of that redemption by his dying on the cross, but also the application of that redemption when he takes the towel and the water to wash the feet of his disciples. And also something else in the emphasis, not only the accomplishment of redemption and the application of redemption, but the assurance of being redeemed. The assurance of being redeemed by the blood of God's lamb. If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me, the Lord Jesus said. The plain implication being that if I do wash you, then you most certainly have a part with me. That's the implication. Those words that he was speaking Speaking there to, to Peter. So there's something here of the, the emphasis of the washing. But well, that brings me in the second place to speak to you upon what I'll, what I'll call the, the excellence of the washing. The excellence of the washing. What was he washing? He was washing their feet. And we must understand that as they would have journeyed, their feet would be somewhat dirty. They would be wearing sandals. And sandals were invariably worn as the footwear every day. They would be trekking on dusty pathways, dusty tracks, dusty roads, because they were the order of the day. And so, understandably, their feet would become soiled, their feet would become dirty, and that would be just a, a, an everyday experience for them. Consequently... The washing of the feet was something that was just an accepted practice. I suppose in one sense we could think of it and say, well, it would just have been one of the social norms of society in that day. You remember how the the Lord Jesus spoke of this on another occasion about the washing of his feet? We have it over in in Luke's Gospel. Luke's Gospel chapter 7 when he's in the house of Simon the Pharisee, where there was a woman that washed his feet and washed his feet with her tears. And in Luke 7 and verse 44, we find these words And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, that is Simon the Pharisee, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet. How? She hath washed my feet with tears, with the water of her tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. So the Savior was well aware of the custom. And he's engaging in that custom here with his disciples before, as he eats the last Passover before he goes to the cross. Notice that where they have come to eat the Passover, the facilities for engaging in this washing have been provided. I say that just to underline that this was common. This was something that was known. And here the disciples are gathered and supper has been eaten and we find the Savior rises up, lays aside his garments, takes a towel, girds himself with the towel, pours the water into a basin and begins to wash the disciples' feet. So provision had already been made for this. The water was there. The basin was there. The towel was there. And the Savior rises and takes these and begins to wash the feet of of his disciples. So the one who had given the use of the room to them here certainly had some degree of understanding that this would be required because he had those facilities already there. They had been provided for this very task. But the point is there was no one who had risen up to use those facilities. None of the disciples did. None of the disciples did. We find that it is the Savior himself who gets up and gets the basin and pours the water and takes the towel and goes round to wash the feet of his disciples. Isn't there a lesson in that? What role is he performing here as he does this? This task of washing the feet of the disciples, or indeed the feet of anyone who would have been on a journey and come to a house, it really would very often have been the task of a servant. And so we see that the Lord Jesus here is fulfilling the role of a servant as he takes the water to wash the feet of his disciples. Reminding us that the Lord Jesus himself is indeed the servant of Jehovah. Reminding us that he is the suffering servant of Jehovah. And here he comes to do this task himself by washing the disciples' feet. Now we're not told the order in which he washed their feet. With whom did he begin? We don't know. But we certainly know from the inspired narrative here that when he gets to Peter, we have this dialogue, this conversation engaged in that we have been referring to and we have read of between Peter and the Lord Jesus. Peter is saying, Lord, I wouldn't be worthy. You cannot, you cannot wash, wash my feet. That just cannot be. But the Saviour must teach him, the Saviour must show to him that what he's doing has a, a much deeper significance than just removing the dust and the dirt from off his feet in an outward sense. There's a greater significance in Christ taking the place of the servant, taking the place of the slave in order to wash his feet. And he must he must convince Peter of this he must he must have peter have Peter understand this the, the deeper significance he's really saying, Peter, you have got to see the relationship to me. Your relationship to me is really going to be determined by what this washing signifies, and Peter has to comprehend this and come come to an understanding of it. He's really saying, Peter, that's why I've taken the form or the position and the role of the servant. And in that position, to, to wash, to cleanse. And when he speaks first to, to Peter in this manner, it's almost as if Peter thinks, well, I, I think I've got it now, Lord. I think I, I, think I understand it now. But he hadn't, he hadn't fully understood what the, the Savior was saying. For the Savior said in verse 8, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And then he says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And when Peter said that, it was very clear that he hadn't really understood the significance of this washing, what it was portraying, the cleansing of the blood to take away our sin. Because there's something important here. There's something vital here in the words that the Savior uses. He said unto him, He that is washed. Peter, listen. He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet. But he's clean every whit. It's only a need for a foot washing once you have been washed. And the washing, washing, Peter, must be done by me if it is going to have any effect. I must wash you from your sin. For if I don't wash you by the cleansing of my shed blood, then you will not be cleansed from your sin. Your sins will still be there. The sin stains will still be there. They will not be removed. But the Lord Jesus was the one who humbled himself, took the form of a servant, was obedient and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see, he's wanting to emphasize the point that this washing is no ordinary washing that he performs. He's wanting to have him clearly understand the excellence, the excellence of this washing, because it is the blood and only the blood that cleanseth from all Sin. Oh, to think that it is the blood of Christ, the blood of the God man, who cleanses us from all our sins. We could think of Paul as he writes to the Corinthians. You remember how in First, first Corinthians 6 he was speaking to them and telling them of the sins that would not be able to enter into heaven. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor violers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, And such were some of you, but ye are washed. Ye are washed. Yes, such were some of you, he says, but now you're clean. Now your sins have been removed. You have been washed in the blood, the blood of Christ. And that is what is needed. That is what is required. I think of what we find over in Acts chapter 15. You remember there was that council that was called there. There was a discussion because there was some amongst the Pharisees and They they had said, well, certain other things are necessary. But it is Christ and Christ alone that is necessary for salvation. And his blood alone can cleanse from sin. And we find in Acts chapter 15, Peter is there. Yes, Peter again. Peter is there. Acts chapter 15. Let's read from verse 6. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as He did unto us, and put no difference between us and them. And then listen to these words, purifying their hearts purifying their hearts and the word there that's translated purifying has the sense and the meaning of making clean making clean by washing and he's saying purifying their hearts making them clean how by faith So what's the message even from those words? Purifying their hearts by faith. They had hearts that were cleansed, were made clean, were washed when they believed on Jesus Christ. That's the message that Peter was setting forth there in Acts 15. So what the Savior says here to Peter in John chapter 13 and verse 10 when he says, He that is washed needeth not save to to wash his feet. When there is that coming to Christ for salvation, that believing on him, there is that initial washing, that complete full washing. But then... When we're saved, saved by his blood, washed by his blood. Sadly, we cannot say that we don't sin. If we say then that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And it's necessary, isn't it, for what we can, to use the analogy here in John 13, it's necessary for the daily foot wash. Isn't it? There is the initial cleansing of the blood when we come at first to believe and are saved, but then there is also the continuing cleansing, the ongoing cleansing day by day. For we realize that we do sin, and we cannot pretend that we don't, and we need to be coming on that daily basis for the foot wash for that cleansing, that continual cleansing by the blood. And there's something here that we do need to grasp. There is the initial cleansing, but there's also the, the continuous, the ongoing cleansing. Yes, there are those times even when we're saved that perhaps we say something and we realize when we've said it, well, I, I shouldn't have said that. You need to have the cleansing of the blood. There may be other things, and you say, right, that's wrong. I, I need to confess that. I need to repent of that. I need to turn from that. I need the blood, the cleansing of the blood. I need the washing to be made clean. That's the message here that the Lord Jesus is setting forth as he speaks, as he speaks with Peter in those words, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And we must live then in the light of this truth, this truth of having that daily cleansing by the blood of the Lamb. Oh, how excellent is the cleansing. It removes every stain. The Bible tells us that we're justified by the blood. Think of that. We're declared righteous in heaven's court when the blood has been applied to remove our sins. That's why we must also always preach the blood. That's why I decided to choose the hymns for tonight, that they would all be speaking about the blood, the sin-cleansing blood of God's Lamb that we experience when at first we come and are saved, and then we know that blood cleansing continually, continuously as we live the Christian life. Coming, confessing our sins daily before the Lord and knowing the blood applied. Those are solemn words, aren't they? That the Saviour said to Peter, If I wash thee not, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. So we come then from the emphasis of the washing and the excellence of the washing. Just to say briefly something about the exception to the washing. The exception to the washing. And the Savior speaks of it here. The exception. And what's the exception? Well, let me read the verse again. Verse 10. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all, but not all, for he knew who should betray him. There was one who did not have the precious blood applied, Judas Iscariot. And yet Judas Iscariot was one who enjoyed so many, so many privileges. He's the one along with the other disciples who was with Christ I wonder how many times he listened to the Savior preach, to the Savior tell those parables. He heard them. He saw the Savior, he who is God incarnate. He saw him perform the mighty miracles the cleansing of the lepers, the opening of the eyes of the blind. He was privileged to behold all of that. He was privileged to hear those words that the savior spoke. Yes, words that the one who is incarnate deity, incarnate deity proclaimed. Words of grace, words of power. And yet, he never experienced the cleansing of the blood. He was the exception here. But he was with the Savior. He had the example that the Savior set before him, that example of the Savior's sinless life. Never never speaking a sinful word, never expressing a sinful thought, never engaging in a sinful deed. He watched him, he beheld him, he saw him. Who could have had more privileges than Judas Iscariot? Who could have had greater privileges than Judas Iscariot? And yet Judas Iscariot is lost. The blood was not applied to him. That's a solemn thought. That's a solemn reality. And so I have to ask you, have have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? If you have, then you have a part with the Lord Jesus Christ. You are one of His. You belong to Him. And He'll take you home to be with Himself so that you will be where He now is, But if you die in your sins, and your sins have never been cleansed by the blood of Christ, you will never be where Christ now is. Where is he? He's in heaven at the right hand of the Father. Where will you be if you die in your sins, not cleansed by the blood? You'll be in hell. And hell is a terrible place, terrible place. The late Dr. Paisley preached a sermon once, there's no place like hell. It would be hard to describe the torment of that place, the burning fire of that place, the eternal punishment in that place, who will be in hell. All who have never been washed and cleansed by the blood. That's why you need to make sure that it's well with your soul. And the Lord Jesus bids you come to him. He extends that invitation to you to come. And we pointed it out in Acts 15, didn't we, that those who had their hearts purified were those who had come and believed on Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Savior. He's the only Savior. He's the only one that a sinner needs. If you haven't come to him, come to him now. He'll save you. He'll cleanse away your sins. And you will Get an assurance in your heart that you are his and his forevermore. Let's bow in prayer.